I'm feeling myself getting old. I know, relatively speaking, I'm not old. But LA is a place where, as Madonna just pointed out in a recent Instagram post, I'm going to quote her, I am caught in the glare of ageism and misogyny that permeates the world we live in. A world that refuses to celebrate women past the age of 45 and feels the need to punish her if she continues to be strong-willed, hardworking, and adventurous. It might be a little dramatic to liken my situation to Madonna's, but yeah, LA is not kind to women over a certain age. I made the mistake of looking at pictures of myself in a bikini from about 15 years ago. I was starving, quite literally, and tired, but I looked great. I don't remember feeling great, but I looked it. And I am sort of sad, but I'm also sort of happy that TikTok and Instagram didn't exist yet. And the Kardashians didn't really exist. And if they had, I wonder if I would have flaunted the shit out of myself on Instagram and TikTok. And I'm not sure it would have made me feel great. But it's interesting for me to think about. And I do think about that sometimes. LA in general is not that kind to folks trying to uh, go broke living here. The long nights and the constant schmoozing one signs up for to be in the entertainment industry is not for the faint of heart. And no matter your age, if you want to be in the race, you have to play the game. So by default, as you get older, it's hard to do those long nights and it's hard to schmooze. And I'm really feeling that these days. The TikTok of it all is just even another layer of exhaustion. And while I don't necessarily miss auditioning in the auditioning process, I do miss being on camera and feeling grateful that, you know, I had the opportunity to feel, you know, that kind of buzz after the pain of schmoozing and auditioning. And sometimes I feel that kind of glimmer of that old feeling in this medium and also sometimes on Instagram. I sat down with my friend Clark Moore last week to discuss his time in Hollywood after he put me at a table with a bunch of young, gorgeous 20-somethings that are all very famous on TikTok. And I was mad at him <laughs> for a minute. But I was also really shocked because as I sat there at that table, little tidbits of his life started to unfold. And I, I didn't really... I knew he was an actor, but I really didn't know in what capacity. I had kind of thought he was um, just pursuing academia. So it was interesting for me to learn a little bit more about him and chat with him about his life. There I was at nine o'clock on a Monday in the Soho House West Hollywood Surrounded by TikTok stars because of you. <laughs> yeah. Where, what do you, I didn't even know what was happening. I just knew I had to get out. I knew how to get out of there. I was like, oh no. Mm -mm. A girl, she made a joke about being 40 years old. And I paused and I was like, oh no, babe. I'm like low key about to be 40. Then, Clark, I went and looked up all the people, all the youngins that mm -hmm. I was sitting with, and then I died because the one named Moonbear that mm -hmm. was slightly aloof and wanted pretty much nothing to do with me other than to make fun of the fact that I'm almost 40 years old was on that fabulous show, Betty. Yeah, 
it was a cool crew. I mean, I, I can't take credit for that. They are cool people. And, uh, you know, we were, I felt a little old too. Sort of the 23, 24 year old thing is it's hard to socialize with. You know, it's tough because, um, especially when they have, you know, like millions of followers on the internet for like right. mukbanging or whatever else right. they do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and such sweet people, by the way, just gorgeous right. and lovely. Um, but I was laughing because I got in the car and I'm like, I don't even, I'm very, un- I'm like real boomer. Like, I felt I like a real boomer hanging out with you and your friends. I got to be honest with you. And I was like, wait, Clark. But I always was like, well, I know Clark's an actor, but I know he's also, you know, in school, to, <laughs> which I really want to dive into. And we would obviously see each other at these committee meetings. I'm like, oh, my God, I really want to talk to him and have him on the show. And then I was like, wait, why are we with all these famous TikTokers? And then I was like, wait, y'all are talking about Snapchat shows? And then I started <laughs> to dig and I'm like, wait, Clark was in the movie Love, Simon? Wait, is Clark very famous? Wait, am I very confused? <laughs> and then I realized all of those things are true and well, I'm just perpetually confused. Thank you. It's very kind. I know I fly kind of under the radar. I would definitely not use the words very famous to to self-identify, but happy to take that from you. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's funny with, you know, we, yes, we met through Soho House and that's a space that's so special to me because I've met such wonderful people there. But I also know that for some people it has, you know, it has different connotations for different people. And For me, though, in that space, I always feel very, I had the exact same experience with you where like, we don't talk about work when we're there, you know, we just talk about like life and we're catching up or whatever. And then you realize like, oh, right, this is, that's one of the cool things about being in these spaces is that people do cool things and have cool jobs and, and know your mutual friends. Shout out to Chris Murphy. Shout out Chris Murphy, who better come on this podcast or you're in big, big trouble (laughs) with me. I adore Chris Murphy. Chris Murphy, I want to just like put in my like little papoose and like have him be my little baby. He's heaven. He's the best. Um, And so funny. And it's, um, what I like about Chris is Chris and I both have sort of like dual lives at Condé Nast. Mm. And I'm I'm into that. He interviewed a very close friend of mine uh, who was a former housewife. And so okay. we got connected that way as well. So Chris right. and I were really destined to be to be friends, much like you and I, apparently. I, I feel that way, exactly. And and that's honestly with these those friends that you're referencing, like they are I it's very much when I'm around them, I feel like that Amy Poehler mean girls moment of like, they keep me young, you know, like I, I feel quite old around them. Um, but they have this chaotic energy, this like freedom that I, and I don't think it's just age. Cause I didn't have that at 22, 23. I was very like, very buttoned up, very, you know, I wanted to control everything. Chaos was like not even on my radar and I've seen the ways through hanging out with them, the ways in which their chaos has benefited them because it puts them in places that they wouldn't otherwise be in. You know, they sort of like, yeah, they look at that. They didn't plan to have a whole dinner and drinks moment at Soho with us that night. And then next thing you know, there they are. And, you know, you meet new people and you have new experiences. So 
I'm trying to bring some of that chaotic energy into 2023. That's kind of my goal for this year is um is to let go. Although speaking of TikTok, uh <laughs> um I saw someone sent me a video that was like I'm in my villain era and the villain era is like not responding to a voicemail, you know? <laughs> like oh my that's God, I'm in my villain era forever then. Yeah, just like the very the base level of you know, funny. takes an hour to respond to a text message. And then I'm like, I'm in my villain era. <laughs> That's my version of chaos. I love that you bring up kind of this beautiful chaos of like the young folks. Because I do, I felt the same way, not only just this past week, but in other lives. I've really, like recently when I'm with younger people, there is this kind of chaos that I also didn't have. When I was mm-hmm. 22, I was still in school. I had a million jobs. I was acting. I was like running to auditions. I was like babysitting in the morning, going to class, like maybe had another audition, would go to the restaurant job. Like I had a a band at that point. So like maybe I'd have a gig. Like first of all, how Mm -hmm. I had the energy, couldn't tell you because I was obviously partying and drinking the whole fucking time. Right. And, And I didn't have a car. And I lived in San Francisco Woo! Wow. before Uber. Ooh. Right. I mean, it was the bus. And let me tell you, the bus takes time. It takes time. So I, I don't know how I did all of those things. And I, too, was pretty buttoned up. I think it was for me, I was very anxious. And I, mm. you know, I needed to pay for my life. So I was like, right. fuck, I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. And I had an opportunity at 21 to move down to Los Angeles with this guy I was dating, which like, LOL. Mm. And um, he actually DJed my wedding, which is oh like, my so God. funny. <gasps> Do you love wow. that? Like, what so a twist. Stupid. Yeah, what a twist. <laughs> um, he also like fucked up the music. I mean, I was such a, talk about control freak. I basically gave him the entire set list. He still makes fun of me to that day. He's like, yeah. Liz is like, oh, this is the kind of music I want, but then sends a 600 plus song <laughs> curated playlist. I really did. It even had the jump off with uh, Little Kim on there, which was played. Oh, wow. Um, but I almost moved down to Los Angeles and then I didn't. I got like cold feet and I just knew I didn't want to move in with him. And it was just like weird. But I- I'm glad I didn't because I do think being in Los Angeles, regardless if it's 2000 and 12 versus mm-hmm. 2022 or 2023. Los Angeles, when you're young, is it's a lot because you do have mm-hmm. that energy and you do have that kind of chaos going on. How old were did you come here right after college and start acting? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I started acting when I was a child. I, I signed with a, my first agent when I was seven. And I did. Okay. I'm, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I have an intense theory about child actor. I was like a theater actor as a kid. I was at ACT, so I didn't have like an agent when I was seven. Right. So I won't consider myself like a real kid actor, but you are the most, one of the most normal kid actors I've ever met because you kid actors. I know. It's like, it's still in there. I mean, honestly, like, well, so most of what I did was um, theater, regional theater, some commercial. I was in Atlanta, commercial work. I was in Atlanta, um, which is where I'm from. And at the time, there was not, it's so funny to say this now, because like, that's where the industry is now. You know, like everything shoots in Atlanta. We shot Love, Simon in Atlanta. Um, and so it's funny to think, but when I was growing up, there was nothing. It was like, you know, an equity theater would do a regional show that needed a kid. 
and uh, and I would be the kid, you know, or like um, Tyler Perry was starting to do things basically as I was graduating high school. So I did like a brief moment on a Tyler Perry show, um, and, show? Uh, and a lot of what show? It, it was called House of Pain. It was like, yeah, I mean, it was. It's like a, people don't know. Of course, I know what House of Pain is. Right. It was not. I mean, my moment on it was like not even m- memorable. But at the time, it was like the only TV thing I'd ever done. And um, so anyway, I, you know, my relationship to it was always that I always say I was a child actor, but I wasn't a child star. Right. So I had the I didn't have any of the money from it or the like. Uh, access to Hollywood parties or, you know, I had friends who would fly out to LA to do pilot season. And some of them were on like Disney channel or Nickelodeon shows at 12. And my mom was a dentist. My dad was a pilot. And they both were like, no, we're not moving to New York for you to be on Broadway. We're not moving to LA. Like if something is here, you can do it. And if it's like in the general area, if we have to drive to Mississippi or Nashville or whatever, okay. Or North Carolina, we'll do it. But we're not uprooting our lives for your career. I have and to I think- tell you, Clark, though, while I, not to cut you off, but I have to I've talked about that on this show mm. where I like wanted nothing more than to be on the Disney Channel. Right. And I begged my parents to let me go down Same. to Los Angeles and audition and also to Florida. And they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like my mom worked for my dad. My dad's a structural engineer. My dad's not from America. They were mm. just like, are Where you is he from? New Zealand. Oh, I th- I didn't know that. How weird. Oh, no, you do know that because I talked about with your hot lesbian friend the other night who's Australian. Oh, yeah. I, as in, I just learned it on Monday. Yes. You did just learn that on Monday. It's fine. Um, We were all like in TikTok. I was very confused. I was really it was a, feeling. It was a long night, too. I felt like also, I was. I had already had three beers at that point. Oh, yeah. Because they were ca- free. <laughs> yeah, and you stayed out, I bet. <laughs> yeah. well, not much longer, but a little bit. Yeah, I was like, I gotta go. But I always was so mad at my parents and felt like they really robbed me of being the next, like, Mary-Kate and Ashley. Yeah. By not, minus, like, I, th- I think I'm more of an Ashley than a Mary-Kate. So, like, Ashley mm. minus the Mary-Kate. But I was so angry with them. But, I, but in retrospect, like, thank God. Because yeah. I would be like... On, I would be Mary Kate. Well, no, actually, I wish to God I was Mary Kate and Ashley. Those <laughs> bitches are rich. Those bitches are rich. Um, yeah, you and- probably. It's more likely you'd be like, um, I don't know, maybe maybe in the Bella Thorne space. Oh no, honey, I can't be Bella Thorne. No, <laughs> not, no. But yes, and or like Amanda Bynes. I would right. be like Amanda Bynes, like face tatted and everything. Like what a. I hear how she's sad. coming back. I hear she's going to be part of the all that reunion. You know, listen, the person who made the most glorious return that we that no one put money on her, no one bet on her, no one knew was Lindsay Lohan. And if I could have been a Lindsay Lohan, that would have been fine. But were you mad at them at the time for not letting you? Or are you like happy that you didn't do it as well? No, I was I was furious. I mean, I like I wanted to be a star. I'm that TikTok meme. I'm a star. That's been my whole life is I'm a star. I'm a star. Um, But I think that's why I to your point about like not having that kid actor thing. I think that's that's where they kept me grounded. They made me sure. go to college and not study theater. They made me like find a way to do other things. Um, 
And because of that, I'm now like, my interests are much more, as you know, multifaceted. And I'm, you know, in the past few years, primarily my work has been as an actor, but I've kind of shifted more to like filmmaking and sort of like holistic creation, like writing, acting, directing. Um, I mean, I'm still, you know, auditioning and open to doing work, but I find fulfillment in sort of telling a story from start to finish in a way that um, acting is sort of like a fun thing. And this, I I feel like I'm not, I'm not articulating this well, because it's kind of a new narrative that I'm exploring. But um, anyway, all that to say, it's because they forced me to think more broadly about what my offering is, what I want out of life. But that's kind of what I'm getting at the 22 to 23 year old. I was kind of a psycho when I came out here. I was like straight out of college. I went to Dartmouth. I was very high achieving type A. And I was like, I'm going to come to Hollywood and I'm going to fucking own it. And I'm going to, you know, like five days here and I'll have a pilot, you know, like after two years, I'll be a celebrity with my face on billboards. You know, I was just like, I'm going to hack the system and that's why I didn't have any chaos when I got here because I was so like laser focused on achieving high success really quickly. And, you know, LA did its LA thing. You know, you sort of like dive in and then you get sucked into a riptide and then you can't mm-hmm. track time. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's a very strange city. It's unlike any other city I've ever lived in, unlike any other city in the world, I think. And um, because of that experience, I let, I learned to let go. Hmm. And so I think that's the version of me that you met, um, like what, two years ago now, Mm -hmm. was one who was sort of resigned to the rhythm of this city, not in a sense that like, I'm giving up, I'm not, you know, but in a sense that when I find success happens socially, romantically, professionally in LA when you don't force it and you just kind of go with the flow and you see where the river is going to take you, you know, and then you wind up at dinner with these people. Like the number of times that has happened to me where I just like happened into a space and then all of a sudden that person is my new best friend or producing my podcast or, you know, connecting me with someone. That's, that's the magic of this city. And, um, I think that's why you're maybe sensing the, uh, I I guess I've learned to mask my child actor-ness. Well, first of all, I think, I mean, you, by the way, you forgot to mention that when you were on House of Pain, you played um, the homeless boy. I did. and (laughs) And you went from that to playing yourself on Glee, which I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, like that's sort of a big jump. I'm just saying like, Going from homeless to playing yourself, like yeah, on one of the biggest shows that have ever been on air in the last like what twenty five years, kind of a big deal. You bring up so many things that I talk about that's hard for me to articulate and share with others, which is this idea of like happening on people, relationships, situations, jobs, mm-hmm. love, life in Los Angeles. You know, I came down here also acting. Mm. Like went to Leslie Kahn, did the whole yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Bailey and I just talked about that when he was a guest on on the podcast because he worked at Leslie Kahn at the fucking front desk. And now he's like this crazy Bravo podcast host. I mean, it's wow. so 
funny how things happen. And I'll never forget the moment for me. It was my second audition for Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And the lovely casting director was like, I just don't, I don't know. Like, and I just signed um, with Paradigm at the time. And this agent who was short-lived was just relentless about my body shape. She was just Mm. like, you've got to lose weight. And now I look back on it and I was so small. I was so small. If I could give anything to be that small again, I would, but can't. And it's called Ozempic, which I will probably be making my way on to soon. No, we're great at every size. (laughs) Anyway, but it was such a different time. And I'll never forget like this, this lovely, he was, I can't even remember his name, but this awesome casting director I kept going in front of. And he's like, you're too pretty to kind of be funny or like Mm -hmm. lesbian, but like your voice is really deep, which is like not very pretty. And like, you're giving (laughs) me Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza, but you're like, not as unhinged and like he's mm. just like i don't know what to do with you and i walked out i got into my jetta and i was like i think that i have to just i'm forcing something that just potentially is like not fucking happening do you know mm-hmm. what i mean and that was yes. sad for me but it's what what was great about it is i've now been able to kind of play myself and you know go into audio and i hosted you know for so long which I really love to do. There's nothing more than I love than like talking to a celebrity on camera and asking them mm. like mundane questions and it being really awkward. It's it's something I've really mastered, but um, <laughs> I think it's the idea of kind of, if you're really in it and if you really like the business or if you really feel creative deeply, I think kind of going with the flow, as you said, or like being open, it's interesting the possibilities that can kind of come with that. And I don't think it's giving up because I don't think acting is the kind of, in my opinion, now, later, it's the be all end all, even though I think if you had asked me at like 13, I would have been like, it is. That's exactly how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. And it's funny because, um, I mean, I I, I relate to a lot of that where, Similarly, you know, with types now and conversations around diversity and inclusion, so frequently it ends up being like, okay, well, we need a gay one, we need a black one, we need a this, we need a that. And a lot of times I've found in in recent years that casting directors or people who are, you know, friends of mine who are sort of like involved in the casting process will tell me like, here's a deal, like we had a black guy so we needed a gay guy who was not black. And you're like, okay, mm. well, I'm gay and I'm black. So, you know, how do you fall into this category or that category? And so what I found is that the kind of work that I actually enjoy doing tends to be my friend's projects anyway. Like everything I've done in these past few years has been a friend who is like doing an indie or a play mm-hmm. or, a you know, or whatever. And, and because of that, these friends who know me like as a, as a person, not as a type, they cast me in roles that I would never book if I auditioned for them. And, um, and then as a result, it's more fulfilling. You know, the work is more fulfilling. The, the, the job feels fun and challenging and I'm able to do something I don't usually do. Uh, but you know, then you have, you also have to eat, right? So there's this kind of like constant balance. But what I'm what I'm most interested in now is um, figuring out how I feel like 
a lot of the queer storytelling that I've seen in the past and that I've been been lucky enough to be involved in has been, um, you know, it feels like that version first version of a queer story, which a lot of it, you know, we're we're catching up with decades and centuries of um, heterosexual storytelling. So it makes sense why we have to we feel the need to tell like a coming out story or um, a struggling with identity or you know stories that are really about the experience of being queer. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also this other element of our lives where we we just exist, right? Like I think of that bell hooks quote, um, queer not as the person who you're having sex with. That's a part of it, but queer as a person who negotiates an otherness. I'm now paraphrasing, but negotiates an otherness with the rest of society, right? Queer as like being different, existing in a space in a different way. And that means more than just like waking up and being like, oh, I'm in this queer body and this queer struggle and this queer life. You know, that's going to the grocery store. That's, you know, having conversations with your parents about mortality. That's sitting in traffic on the 405, you know, there's so many other elements. And what writing has given me, the gift that it has given me is that I feel like I have the voice and the capacity to tell those versions of the story, sort of like V2 of the queer experience. And um, seeing that all the way through is so fulfilling. And that's why all these projects that I'm working on that are like labors of love and truly like every day I'm like banging my head against the wall at the end of the day I'm like well at least at least in the end the story that I contribute will will be additive and will show a different version of a queer experience I am so sick of asking people about their coming out story or like my coming out story. I could scream. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me in starting this podcast was that I just wanted, you know, you know, everybody always is like, what's the log line? What's the show about? (laughs) What's the hook? What's the hook? And, you know, if you if you go and even read on Apple or Spotify what this show is about, it literally says it's queer stuff. It's not queer stuff. It's pop culture. It's not pop culture. Basically, like life, it's culture, yeah. you know, not to like sound like Jonah Hill. Did you see that new Jonah Hill movie on that? I did. I it's did. cute. I mean, when he was like about the culture, I died. Yeah. Um, it's just I will funny. say I was quite high when I watched it. Um, and I cried at the the montage when they fall in love. Oh, my God. Obviously. I just want to stay high. <laughs> yeah. I was really like, cute. oh, with you. It was really <laughs> cute. It was cute. Um. I liked it actually. I liked the movie, and Kenya is like a genius, so it was just—it was great. Um, it was exactly what you want, and, and Julia, Julia Louis, like, yeah, oh my, Julia genius, was great. genius, and she really played that that part well. And I, I think, you know, just having a, yeah, I think like not having it all be about like this coming out struggle and this, mm-hmm. you know, listen, that is real. Like I have to come out all the time. Perfect example. When we were at dinner on Monday, did you notice mm-hmm. Moonbear? What I don't, I think they use she, but I don't want to miss, uh, you know, um, I think she does use she, but did I you see, so did you see her reaction to me when I no. said wife? Do you remember that? I'll tell you. She said wife. Yeah. Remember? She was like, yeah. wife. What? Mm, what? 
wife, really? And then I kind of, I was like, yeah, wife. And she's like, wow, like interesting wife. And I'm like, why? Why is that so interesting to yeah. you, Moon Bear? Is it because yeah. I look like a fucking broke down Reese Witherspoon to you and that I should be <laughs> in at the Brentwood Country Mart? Like, mm. are you confused that like I married a woman? But no, but she totally was. And she totally didn't think that I was queer, which is fine. But it's like, I have those moments happen all the time, you know, yeah. or like, my wife does make fun of me because I'll go like, like if I see somebody gay and I want them to like know, I'll be like, my right. wife, my gay, gay, female identifying wife. You know what I mean? <laughs> just like totally obnoxious. But I think it is just like living, you know, I don't ever see kind of that, that story from myself ever being talked about. Like even in the L right. Generation Q, which is, I mean, I have a lot of issues with that show, but right. mostly just because it's corny and like not very well written. I'm sorry, Marja, I love you. And like, please be a guest on this show. And I hope you never hear that. But <laughs> I, you know, just the, what we really still think queer people look like right. is such a an issue actually. Right. And that's not really like, kind of subtly hinted at. Do you think that queer black men are portrayed accurately in film and TV at all? I mean, I, I think there are there are authentic representations that I've seen. Um I think the the issue with all of it is that like we lo love the L word in concept and in theory, but if the L word is your lesbian show and then every other show on, on your channel is the, is your thriller and your sci-fi and your, you know what I mean? Like queer as a genre, I think is the problem Yeah, because the queer experience is as multifaceted. And part of the problem is also people know they should be telling these stories. They know that this is what, we're supposed to do, you know, you talk to any executive now and it's like, oh yeah, of course we love queer content. We love queer stories, um, which was maybe not the case 10 years ago. Sure. Uh, and they're, and they're actively looking for queer shows and queer, you know, but I think, you know, so many of those people aren't queer identifying themselves, which is part of the problem. And then, and then too, it's this, what I said before, which is that if you're looking for a gay guy to play the gay role, the one gay role, then now that gay person not only has to, you know, represent all gay experience for the viewer, or that show has to represent all gay experience for the viewer, but also what does that mean to you, casting director, producer, director, writer, you know, like, because mm -hmm. it means really nothing, right? Like I am so unlike all of my queer friends, you know, like the idea that we would all be the same type or would all share the same lived experience. It's just, it's just laughable. And so, yeah. So that's the frustrating part with, um, with watching these stories. And, uh, but, you know, on the, at the same time, I, I'm always glass half full. I'm like, I'm glad that they exist. I wish it was like the L word is a show dedicated to documenting what these people view as a lesbian experience uh, or an experience of a queer woman. And then there's also like 20 other shows that are about whatever they're about. And the protagonist happens to be queer or people in the story happen to be queer, you know, as opposed to like, this is about being gay, you know? Right. I agree. And it's tough because I think 
being these characters in these shows, like even the secret sex life of college girls, which yeah. I love and I know Justin and it's great and whatever, but you know, her, one of the characters in there, have you ever watched it? I love it. Yeah. It's cute. It's really cute. But her whole like being, you know, one of the, I can't remember her, her name in the show, but um, actually really the girl that kind of looks like me. Yeah. Uh, Renee who, Rapp. Yes. Um, who ends up, you know, being queer in the show, that was like a whole, and I, I liked how it was dealt with, but you know, she had to almost explain, it always has to be like explained right. in some, in some way where, could you imagine if we were, if like the norm was being gay and everybody was being straight, how, yeah. how bad film and TV would be? Cause everybody would have to be like, I like to have sex with this, the opposite sex. And like, <laughs> it's like, it would be so dumb. It'd be like such a strange is such a strange thing. When did you decide to go back to school? That was kind of in the pandemic. I mean, I, I, I'll say, you know, when I went to college and my parents were like, you can't major in theater, I sort of fell in love with history and, and art history. And my, um, my concentration in the history department was material and visual culture. So I've always been really interested in like, society and um you know how we how we represent our identity in ex in external ways so like architecture what our houses say about us what our clothes say about us um and while i was in college i had this undergraduate fellowship that uh was sort of like a research fellowship it was it was meant for people who you know come from underrepresented backgrounds in academia and the idea was that like they give you some money to do your research and then you go off after college and you become a professor. Um, so they were not thrilled when I was like, so I've been on TV. I was on TV twice. I was on the sing off and I was on glee while I was still at school. And so when I came in my senior year and everyone was like, I'm going to this PhD program, I'm going to that PhD program. I was like, I'm going to LA. <laughs> and my advisor was not pleased. Um, but so anyway, all that to say, like, you know, higher education and and grad school was always sort of on the radar. But then I came here and kind of got like distracted by, you know, the LA of it all. I think in retrospect, if I if I could do things differently, one of the many things that I would do differently is that I probably would have just gone straight into like a PhD program at UCLA or USC or something, like given myself a reason to be here, but then also be doing this research journey alongside. Because basically during the pandemic, I just looked up and I was like, wait a minute, I have this research project that I've been meaning to do. And I started trying to do it. And it kind of started as me just getting high and reading Russian history Dead. in like early pandemic, like April, May of 2020. And I started following this thread and I was like, oh, I really like this and I really like that. And I was just going to write a book on my own. But then I kind of like hit a wall, a research wall. And I was like, I don't have the, you know, literally didn't have like JSTOR access. You know, like I couldn't read <laughs> the articles that I needed to read. And so I was like, if I'm going to do all this work, I might as well like get a degree out of it. And so I applied, I only applied to two programs and one of them was, um, had a remote option. So that's the one that I ended up going with. And, um, yeah, so now it's funny to think that it's been, it will be two years at the end of this year. This is my final semester 
and I'm writing my dissertation and um, then I'll have a master's in July. And tell just for the listeners what the master's will be in and what your dissertation is about. Okay, so it's quite silly. It's it's basically Russian cinema, Soviet cinema. The title of the dissertation is Prescriptive Masculinities, Homosocial Intimacy and Queer Imagination in Pre-Stalinist Soviet Cinema. So I'm looking at um there was this Soviet conference of uh Soviet conference on cinema in 1928. Um cinema sort of like uh, film as a technology began in the late 1800s and um the sort of the other big historical point to know is that in 1917 obviously the russian revolution happened the empire falls the monarchy falls the bolsheviks take power lenin takes power so it's you know new this new energy of excitement and out with the old and with the new you know a Russia for the people kind of thing. Um and what's exciting about that is it 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 sort of like goes hand in hand with this brand new technology of storytelling which is filmmaking. So, you know, filmmaking is an is a dynamic medium, it's a visual medium and um it's also one that you don't have to be able to read to experience, right? Like there was a barrier to literature for a lot of Russian people because they were poor and illiterate. And once, this is why I'm focusing on the period that I'm in, once they transition out of silent films, which is like late 20s into 30s, there's this access that all these people get to storytelling. And so the the um, the, the like hook, if you will, the logline of the dissertation is kind of that I find it interesting that in the, the Soviet leadership was aware of this tool and in creating soviet narratives one of the things that they focused on was uh what i'm calling prescriptive masculinity so normative gender performance this is what a soviet man does this is what a soviet woman does an active and aggressive erasure of gender non-conforming people of queer people um and it's the reason why it's timely is because this is what's happening now, right? Like, why are trans people the uh, tip of the spear for all Republican um, political ideology, right? Like, it's such a, it makes no sense to focus on, um, or I guess maybe it does make sense. Maybe that's the one I'm going to argue in this dissertation. But my my question is always why? Because this is a theme that we see with totalitarian governments and sort of like, leaning towards fascism for some reason gender is always the the beginning Mm -hmm. and i have all these theories and you'll have to read the dissertation for for why that is and and it's based in some you know a lot of people have theories as to why this is um but really you know i i love cinema i love film and um actually another another funny thing we were talking about your your colleague ridica jones was talking about on Mark Marin's podcast about mm-hmm. um her time in Russia. She was, I guess she worked at the Moscow Times for a while. And they they were talking about how, you know, this the language of cinema and the language of acting really comes from Russia. So it's funny, in in a sense, I kind of like went far afield and this research project was meant to be like separate from kind of like a hobby, you know, like some actors right. take up woodworking or tennis or whatever. This was going to be my like hobby between gigs. 
And then somehow it's ended up being about like the foundation of the industry that I'm in and the work that I do. I've never felt more unaccomplished and stupid (laughs) on my own show. I have to tell you, I'm like, I did take up tennis and I, I, my brain is mush. You're going to Edinburgh to Mm -hmm. finish, right? Mm -hmm. Have you been there before? I've never been to Edinburgh. What do you think that's going to be like? I'm excited. I mean, I think it's going to be isolating. It's going to be quite dark and And quite cold. cold. Yeah. And so I think it's going to be very like interior. I have this really like magical fantasy of just being cold and wearing sweaters and being by a fire and reading Russian history and, you know, writing a lot. Um, And then maybe also falling in love in a pub. Uh, First of all, I would like to will this into fruition for you. Like, I want that to happen. Um, I also have this greater sense that your entire experience of this dissertation going overseas, like maybe being like a queer black man in Mm -hmm. Edinburgh, like maybe this is a movie. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Like I just, I would love to watch this movie, but I'll have to watch your socials. I mean, this is the other thing though, Liz, is that so much about, so much of my life before when I was so focused on acting was like, it was at the sacrifice at the expense of everything else. Mm -hmm. And the thing about being an actor or any kind of storyteller is that you have to have stories to tell. You have to have experiences to pull from. And I just kind of realized I was like not living a full life. I was just sort of in service of, you know, auditions or being available. And Part the other project that I worked on in the the pandemic was I made a short film, which is the sort of like a proof of concept for the feature film that I wrote and that I'm directing and will act in as well. And I've kind of this is the transition that I'm talking about. Is like I see myself as maybe or I see a version of myself being a filmmaker who's doing diaristic, you know, narrative storytelling pulled from my lived experiences. and representing a full version, a fully self-actualized and self-realized queer person, um, as opposed to just the archetype. And so, yeah, you know, if I get a movie out of it, great. If I get a husband out of it, also great. If I get both, even better. But at the very least, you know, at the very least, I will have had an experience that I can always, you know, look back on. I think you make a really good point also about just the best actors do have these life stories to pull from, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the best storytellers obviously need to have lived to tell a tale. And I think there is something, I know for me, I was just like, dude, acting at one point, it was just these like one-line auditions. It wasn't really much else than that. And I think that, you know, I think there's a lot, not to like really bring it all back, but here I am bringing it all back. Not that there's anything wrong with aspiring to be like on TikTok or like there, I really, I mean, we all like shit on it and we make fun of it. I actually don't like whatever. We didn't, I didn't have TikTok when I was younger. I didn't have Instagram. Had I had Instagram 
in high school, thank God I didn't, I would have been a monster. Do you know what I mean? So right. no Tino shade, like do you, yeah. it's a different time, you know? <gasps> yes. And, um, but I do think, you know, for me, it was just kind of like, ugh, like this is not really acting, this is not really storytelling. So I think it's really, it's admirable, but it's also really interesting that you're like diving in to what is int- like making, you know, pushing yourself into a different literal place to yeah. kind of grow so that you can go sink yourself, you sink your teeth into different roles that might be interesting and really creating new stories because, you know, not that there, I do think that we're in this interesting shift in LA, in Hollywood. We're like, fuck, like we need some new blood. Like, mm-hmm. I think we need some new stories. There's a lot of dinosaurs that have been sitting in the same place for a long time. And that's with any industry. It's not just mm-hmm. the entertainment industry, but I think, you know, new, new stories and new, and new kind of like, just eyes on things yeah. is really is really needed. Um, like I love Triangle of Sadness. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I do like him, uh, Ruben Oslund. Yeah, I think you'll like it. You should. It's it's a good one. Um, yeah. I mean, listen. Do I wish I had like five million followers on TikTok for eating peppers? I do actually. <laughs> that stuck with me hard. I was like, damn. I know. Well, it's Peppers, kind of like, and, and he's so talented too, which is, which is wild because, you know, I think the thing that people were telling me when I first came out here and the thing that I think he has mastered is that LA Hollywood in general is such a um, like industry or like commerce driven space mm-hmm. by which I mean, like if you bring your audience to the table then doors open, right? If you've created something for you, for yourself. I, a friend of mine um, who sort of like came up on the internet as well and recently sold his first show to, I think Amazon or to some some streamer, but someone, you know, everyone was sort of congratulating and posting about it. And, and a friend of ours said something that really stuck with me. He said, he used that phrase, he built it and they came, you know, if you, if you build mm-hmm. it, they will come. And that really stuck with me because it's so true. If you build the structure, if you build the audience or the body of work, or, um, you know, if you're in, in our circumstances, I'm frustrated with the uh, limited view that the people in the industry have of me. If I build a new archetype, then the the way that the structure exists, it's like, okay, great. I can now amplify that or I can take it from your audience. I can put it on a bigger platform. But I find, you know, this is the struggle with a lot of people starting out is that I can't do something with nothing, right? I had mm-hmm. I heard this from a lot of agents too, where they were like, we don't just sign you and then all of a sudden you start working, right? Like we take what you've made. Done. And then we amplify it, we make it more, we compound it. And um, that's something I wish I could have tapped into sooner. I didn't have really the like, the wherewithal to, I, I just have never had the ability to do the internet thing, the like TikTok or the YouTube or the Instagram thing. Right. So, you know, fine, you find your version of that and then you build it and then you hope that they come. I know. 
That's why I love podcasting. That's right. Me too. I'm such a long form girly, you know, like I'm not a, I'm not a short form. That's those, those, uh, I mean, it took me 10 minutes to describe my, my dissertation. Like, First of all, I could, I didn't, I didn't even know how to tee that up because when I asked you the other night, and you told me, and you're like, we don't have to talk about that on the podcast. I'm like, no, 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 we like, <laughs> have to talk about that on the podcast because that's so incredibly interesting. But also, I don't even know. I was like, I'm going to fuck this up. I, no. I need to just tee it up. You got to just, you got to just explain it yourself. But probably one of the most interesting things I, I've heard. Um, okay, before I let you go, what is something, we've talked about you meeting your husband. Mm-hmm. We've talked about like, scarves like i'm 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 feeling like a, a sweater mm-hmm. like you know hot toddy by the fire Ugh. what's something that you're scared of going mm. to edinburgh well i i've never been um mm, i should say it's been a really long time since i've gone to a place where i didn't know anybody mm-hmm. i at this point, I kind of, you know, well, first of all, I only go to big cities where people, where my friends would be anyway, you know, like a New York, a London, a Paris, a, a LA. It's very rare that I go somewhere where I don't know anyone at all. And that's Edinburgh. I don't have a single friend that I'm like, I don't even have a like, let's get coffee friend, you know? Anybody uh, listening, please hit up Clark. I'm happy to be that friend, you know, I have some people that I can like DM and maybe become like move from Instagram friends to like friends in reality, maybe, but yeah, I don't, I don't know anyone there. So, um, that's exciting and a little, uh, terrifying. Yeah. I wonder what, I wonder what grinder is going to be like out there. It's a city of 500,000. So that's a good pool. I mean, I'd you actually only need prefer, one. Yeah, you only need one. You only need one. So um, one out of five hundred—that's a good. <laughs> that's good math. I'm not very good at math, but I think it's pretty good. I it's have low mate. expectations, but you know. Okay. All right. Well, where's the best place to, for people to follow you on TikTok or on Instagram? Well. I would say, I mean, I have both. I would say Instagram. I I would even go more long form. I would say the best place to engage with who I actually am is my Substack, which is clarkmore.substack.com. It's called. Oh, I'll put it. I'll put it. I'll put it in the the details of. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's where. That's if you really want to get to know me. That's like essay, long form essays and sort of uh, rev- sometimes film reviews, sometimes TV. I did an, I did a, like a, an essay about succession before season three that compared sort of the, like the operatic elements of succession to this ancient Roman course on marriage that I was taking at the time, which I think was actually really interesting. Um, so that I would say that, or my Instagram is Mr. Clark Moore. I love you, Clark. I really do. <laughs> I I'm so glad that we did this. Because I am too. Thank you. We for haven't really me. done like a date yet, and this is like our first date. And when you're back from Edinburgh, we're gonna have it'll be Pride, so we'll be like That's shuffled right. around Los Angeles to do like Pride shit. That's right. We'll be on one carpet or the other. We'll be from one vent to the next. I can't wait. I love you. I love you. Thanks for having me, Liz. I admire the successful folks that are able to pivot 
and develop their own path in Los Angeles, especially when they come here starting out as an actor. It's a tough road and not everyone can do it. And I know I chat a lot on this show and on other shows about the ins and outs and the life behind the camera here in LA. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Clark's take on it as well. We watch stars rise and fall, literally like it's sports. And we rarely talk about those that just run a steady race and are able to pay their rents and live their lives and have family in the entertainment industry. I always actually kind of envy, or I always did envy, you know, the folks that were on soap operas for like a million years, which is such hard work, by the way. Like, could you imagine trying to learn all those lines every day? And, you know, those actors that you consistently see throughout your life in sitcoms and movies and and sort of supporting roles, those are really, those to me are the true stars because they are consistently working and they have figured it out. You know, Clark, if you're listening, please don't take me around TikTokers anymore. I mean, I loved them, but it's hard for me to see the instant fame that these platforms have allowed for some people because I do think they're missing out on the stories of struggle, which definitely shape who I am now today. And I think also with Clark, you know, who knows if he would be on his way to hopefully meet his husband in Edinburgh if he hadn't dealt with some no's. You know, I think TikTok and Instagram, while there's a lot of painful moments that happen on those platforms, because I think people judge themselves against each other, you don't get that instant no that you do with the casting director. Anyway, my old frail bones and heart can't take being around youth that much longer. So uh, for now, I'm just going to hide out in the suburbs. (laughs) 